0: with episode number 98 of history for weirdos
1: woohoo we're back weirdos let's go
0: those numbers are getting up there in terms of our episodes
1: almost at 100
0: almost at 100 yay
1: isn't that absolutely insane it felt it feels like it was a lifetime ago and also like yesterday we just started this podcast
0: Yes, I agree. We were, we've we told this before on the show, but in case you haven't heard, we recorded our first episode in my parents' bedroom. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it's crazy to think that that's where this all started.
1: Yeah, in your parents' bedroom. Yeah. Not creepy at all. Not
0: creepy at all. We were watching my younger siblings, and that just was the most like sound, soft room. Had the best acoustics. Yes, was there you how? go. Yeah. Um, But speaking of our 100th episode, Weirdos, we want to hear from you for our very special 100th episode. So please email us at historyforweirdos at gmail.com. You can email us one of two things, or you can email us both of these things. Uh, We would love to hear your questions for us. Ask us anything. So you can email questions that you might have for Andrew, for me, for both of us. And then secondly, we would love to hear if you have any short but compelling weird history stories you want us to read. We could read your email verbatim on the show. So all you have to do is email us and put in the subject line 100th episode.
1: Well said. Couldn't have said it better myself.
0: If that was confusing at all, I'm so sorry. We'll definitely put this in the show notes as well.
1: (laughs) We'll put it in the show notes, but no, that was not confusing. Oh, thanks, babe. Absolutely. I thought you did wonderfully.
0: Thank you. And for episode 98, it's Mm -hmm. your turn. So tell us, what story do you have for us this week?
1: Yes, I have quite the tale. So we're going to start off in 326 BC.
0: Okay, so not that long ago. Yeah, not that long ago,
1: (laughs) just the other day. So Alexander the Great, you know, no big deal. I've heard of him. Yeah. He led his troops to the Hifasis uh, now Bayas River in present-day northern India. Okay. This was the easternmost extent of his would-be empire.
0: Yeah, that's really far for him.
1: It's very far in present-day India as well. So yeah. past Pakistan. Okay. Um. They they finally got get to this river, and uh, his men basically. It's called a mutiny, but it's not really a mutiny. They basically kind of tell him, "Look, we're we're done, we're done."
0: They communicated their boundaries. They
1: did. They're like, "Bro, we're in India. Like, this is like, they're literally like coming to places where they thought, um, it was like fiction. Like, we're like, according to their legends, that's where like Hercules went, or Heracles, as they known him or known him at by."
0: And for context, Alexander and his men had been on these campaigns for how long?
1: It's at this point, it's about 10 years. Yeah. Roughly. Yeah.
0: I'd want to go home too.
1: (laughs) Exactly. I don't blame them. (laughs) Like that's so much.
0: That's a really long time. That's a decade. Imagine they've had kids grow up in that time, probably back home. Exactly. And that's very poor work-life balance.
1: It's very poor work-life balance. That's a really good way of putting it. Alexander
0: the Great was not great at work-life balance. No,
1: no, he was not. He's great at warfare and conquering, but work-life balance? Absolutely not. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, anyways, um, so they turn around. But what was the biggest reason for them kind of throwing this mutiny? Is mm-hmm. because they heard of this semi-mythical kingdom, at least from their point of view, mm-hmm. that was far to the east and cro- across way across the river. And that was their boundary line. And so they heard that this, this kingdom, uh, could field like a quarter of a million men Wow! in battle. Yeah. Which is insane. Yeah. I mean, whether that's true or not, I don't know, but that's just according to them. And, you know, just to put that in perspective, that's five times as many men that Alexander used to conquer Persia.
0: Oh, wow. So, so it's would a whole, be it's very a, intimidating.
1: Exactly. Um, yeah. The thought of facing, because they had just fought a uh, really tough battle against an Indian army, and it did not go well. Like, uh-huh. they won, but at very high cost. Yeah. And so, the thought of facing, yet again, another Indian army that was just enormous was, like, too much for them.
0: Understandable.
1: Exactly. So, this great power, it was known as the Nanda dynasty, or the Nanda Empire. Mm-hmm. And... They ruled over like a pretty decent sized swath of northern India, um, centered around the kingdom of Maghada. Okay. Um, or our Magadha. Okay. I think is a better uh, pronunciation. Ironically enough, this empire would soon be conquered by an upstart general of humble origins, you know, at Whoa. least according to legend. Okay. Yeah. And we'll get into this a little bit more, but like historical sources in the east, especially like around this, are just really spotty at best.
0: Mm -hmm. There's a lot of legend intertwined with the history.
1: Exactly. And we saw it with the Achaemenid Persian Empire is like a lot of their western portions were really well documented Mm -hmm. from like Egypt all the way up to Greece Mm -hmm. and along like the eastern Mediterranean coast. But the... the further you kind of go east, it's just like the spottier and spottier and spottier the records are be- like just become. Okay. Um, and so then that's kind of the case here. Uh, so we have to kind of weave together a narrative. Okay. <laughs> but um, this upstart general that I had just mentioned, his name was Ta- Chandra Gupta Maurya. And he would go on and found what would be known as the Mauryan Empire.
0: Yeah, I've heard of that.
1: Yeah. Which I mean, because it's massive. It included, like at its absolute height, almost all of India, present day India, which it, is huge. Which is huge. It did cover all of Pakistan and parts into like Afghanistan and even Iran.
0: Oh my gosh! So
1: it was really big. It was very prosperous.
0: Yes, I bet.
1: And powerful. So, in fact, this would, in of course, I think in all of like ancient India, it would be kind of like the, the um like the golden child. Mm, mm -hmm. Like this would be, it would become like a beacon of economic prosperity reforms, like infrastructure expansions, as well as religious tolerance.
0: Nice. That's always good. So it's a good time. You know,
1: (laughs) it's yeah. And especially it's most glorious days would be under that of Chandragupta's grandson, Ashoka. Ashoka. Yes. And no, and I literally put in my next note, no relation to the star Wars character, (laughs) my fellow beautiful nerds.
0: Yes, you knew that's where I was going. <laughs> yes,
1: it's not Ahsoka Tano.
0: Ashoka. Ashoka, okay, got yes. It. I wonder if that's at all where they got the name for Ahsoka. I don't
1: know. I mean, it kind of wouldn't surprise me.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, no,
1: right? So, Ashoka would become uh, known as the world's first Buddhist ruler and mm. would essentially become like a philosopher emperor well over 400 years before... Mark and like Marcus Aurelius, the Roman Emperor,
0: right? Who's known as the philosopher emperor, exactly. This guy's the OG, he's an
1: OG. So, he would be known as spreading Dhamma, like in that spell D H A M M A, Mm. or righteous conduct, Mm. the major theme of his rule.
0: Mm, That's beautiful,
1: yeah. However, before we get to him, we're gonna have to lay you know quite a bit of groundwork of how Ashoka got to that place, yeah. And so, and a lot of that has to do with his parents and grandparents, Mm -hmm. specifically Chandragupta. Gupta. So, and not only that, but this is actually a pretty interesting time in like Indian history, especially because the Mauryans would be fairly instrumental in the spreading of, or not only like becoming prosperous themselves, but then because of their success, they inadvertently spread Hellenization Mm -hmm. and then laid the groundwork later on for the spread of Christianity, ironically enough. What? Yeah, it has far flung consequences.
0: That's so interesting.
1: Yeah. And I'll get to like the, I'll, I'll make sure to mention it and to point it out, but there's a specific event that will essentially lay the groundwork for Hellenization and, and eventually Christianity. Okay. As a consequence. Yeah. Pretty, pretty interesting stuff. So. Chandra Gupta's early life, though, mm-hmm. it's relatively unknown. Of course. Because of course, you know, <laughs> of course, we just can't, Oh, you just can't have a good time with ancient history.
0: You just can't. Yeah. They're not recording like how kids are as they're growing up or what no. they're like as teenagers. So we Do just you know, don't know.
1: You know what really bugs me about a lot of like ancient Sumerian tablets? What? They're just like accounting records.
0: Oh, really? It's just really
1: boring stuff. It's like a list of like, these are, <laughs> this is my property.
0: This is this guy's property.
1: Yeah, and that's it.
0: Oh, it's that's
1: like lame. Yeah, it kind of gives you like a hint to their like socioeconomic status, but nothing about their culture or anything.
0: Right. And it's not it. you can't read them. That must also bother you.
1: I cannot read Sumerian, no. Hmm. I have to rely on scholars to do that for me.
0: That's so embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. Well,
1: anyways, you know what? I'm going back to this narrative, to Chandragupta here. So, in fact, the earliest sources that we have on his life... And that mention and by name specifically mm-hmm. comes from the Roman historian Justin from a, the around the second century A.D. Okay, and he, different than Emperor Justin who'd come centuries later. Yeah, uh, yeah, Justinian. Just no, there's, there was an Emperor Justin as there's well. There's
0: someone just named Justin.
1: <laughs> so, like, technically this Justin he had a long ass like Latin name. Like, he had like you know his four names, and right? It was, it was like it was probably like Justinianus or something like that. Yeah. Right? but we just call him Justin
0: okay (laughs) I didn't realize how old that name was
1: Justin yeah it's I
0: I can't not think of Justin Timberlake it just sounds like (laughs) such a boy band name
1: Justin Timberlake
0: or or Roman
1: like author and historian
0: yeah that's so interesting okay so this Roman historian is the first record
1: yeah from the second century so centuries after Chandra Gupta right so, um, and I, you know, I have mentioned this on previous episodes, but I absolutely love like origin stories of, mm. you know, founders of cities, conquerors, dynasty creators, et cetera, et cetera, because they are almost like always shrouded in myth and they always follow some sort of like hero archetype.
0: Yeah. Like,
1: especially like a rags to riches, like hero, um, ascension, I guess, for lack of a better word.
0: Because Who wouldn't want to believe in that story? Right. Exactly. An everyday person would love to hear that, that their empire, their glorious, you know, nation, whatever it is, was founded by someone who's just like them.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. And they found out later, oh, you know what? My like great grandfather was the king of this place. And I had no idea. Oh
0: yeah. Or my great, great grandmother was a goddess and I had no idea. <laughs> oh, Crazy, no. right?
1: <laughs> like Romulus and Remus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Well, anyways, Chandragupta, he's no different. Mm-hmm. he's no different again coming from presumably humble origins according to the work of justin in his epitome historium, stored out his troge pompey i mm. tried to do my best latin there and i think i butchered it <laughs> i always butcher the foreign languages on this podcast
0: <laughs> okay well
1: i try my best guys
0: we won't be correcting you on the latin yeah, that's for sure
1: that's fair so According to Justin's work here, there were there were like a, were a lot of miracles that were associated with his ascension to power.
0: Ooh, nice.
1: Yeah. One of my favorites is that apparently a wild elephant submitted to him as a mount before a very important battle.
0: That would be so cute.
1: <laughs> I so- like that's what you glean from it.
0: So they're getting ready for battle and this like elephant comes up and just kinda like bows, like you can you yes, can ride me. You
1: can ride me into battle to wow. victory. Wow.
0: Yeah. I'd be so jealous. That'd be amazing.
1: <laughs> Another ancient Roman <laughs> writer suggested that Chandragupta had actually met with Alexander the Great during his invasion of India.
0: Ooh, that would be cool.
1: Again, yeah. But this doesn't seem likely and yeah. it's probably anachronism, but still
0: So that's how it connects to what you were telling us at the beginning. This exactly. is around they're, they could have overlapped, but likely didn't.
1: But Chandragupta, well, actually, you know what? I'm going to get to it when I get to it. But he does come back with, Hellenization is still, like, in the Oh, you're right, well. yeah. There's a still, like, there's an event that's going to happen. And so, um, regardless, though, Chandragupta's early life, again, shrouded in mystery, and even a lot of what he accomplished, isn't exactly known. Mm-hmm. So in fact, there are no contemporary sources of any of Chandragupta's conquests and even Hmm. achievements during his reign. What? Yeah, and this is frustratingly common again during this time as surviving writings are much more scarce coming from the East than the West, Mm -hmm. which is very, very annoying.
0: Yes. Yeah. Uh,
1: In fact, this episode was originally slated to be about Chandragupta before I realized one, how hard that would be. To right. make a full-length episode about him. And two, honestly, the more I read about Ashoka, I was like, oh, I like this guy more. He's, wow. He's more interesting, in Ooh. my opinion. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm excited to learn about him. But also, how frustrating as a big, big history nerd for you. <laughs> it is. To not have access to more information.
1: Oh, my God. It it frustrates me to no end. I bet. I hope that like in the afterlife, I can just obtain all the knowledge like possible. Yeah.
0: That's a cool, cool idea. That like, if... If that's what happens when we pass, that we just kind of get all of these answers, that'd be sweet.
1: That would be... Oh, my God. No words. Honestly, zero words. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. But anyways, I am digressing a lot this episode. That's all right. So I'm going to turn briefly to the West now, away from India for a moment. Mm -hmm. So after Alexander's abandonment of his Indian campaign, he would infamously head back to Babylon and, well, die. (laughs) yeah yeah Mm -hmm. um
0: he gets sick right yes he gets sick along the way home
1: apparently no he's in babylon when he gets um when he gets sick oh okay yeah and so like there's a ton of theories about that like he could have been poisoned but most likely he probably got like an airborne disease
0: yeah like he didn't have a mosquito or something exactly how would you have the immunity for that and they didn't have any sort of medication no yeah, that sounds more likely.
1: Yeah, that's why I think at least that happened. So but he
0: gets to Babylon, and he dies.
1: He dies, and his final words were toy kratistoi, or to the strongest.
0: Oh, no. Yeah, when asked on his
1: <laughs> deathbed who should succeed him in June 323 BC.
0: That's so vague.
1: Dude, so here's a fun fact. One of his generals was named Craterus. Okay. So there's a theory that he literally just said to craterus instead of to the strongest because the sim the, the, They're it's very similar. similar yeah so oh, that no. is a theory again that's like more of like a i get. i mean i guess it technically is actually a theory mm-hmm. like, but it is just a theory mm-hmm. there's no way to know there's no way to know but regardless of what was meant at the time war soon broke out between the successors of alexander and they were called the dia Dohoi. Um, and they begin to fight over portions of the Macedonian Empire before Alexander's body was even cold.
0: I'm sure because I'm sure they were licking their chops, you oh, know, yeah. to take over, and they all probably think they have claim to being the strongest, right?
1: Exactly, mm-hmm. and I mean, and Alexander's empire is massive, mm-hmm. right? Stretching from Greece and Macedonia, um, all of Asia Minor, like the Levant, uh, the I mean, Syria, the Middle East. Egypt alone. Right. Egypt. Mm-hmm. All of Persia, like even going into present day back, um, Bactria, Bactria, which is present day Afghanistan.
0: Is that where his wife was from? Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So, uh, Sogdian. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she was from that general area.
0: Yeah. That's insane power.
1: Right. And even in India, like p- present day Pakistan, even into India as well. Right. Like it's a massive empire. That's huge. But, uh, it's a really complex process that spans decades mm-hmm. like all this fighting and so we're kind of going to fast forward a little bit towards the end of the century. So one of his successors is known to history as Seleucus the First Nicator. And Nicator is Greek for winner or victor. Okay. So in because in terms of landmass he would be the winner of the Wars of the Diadochi as his empire would encompass much of the Middle East, Asia Minor, persia and syria wow so it's massive yeah and this would be by far the largest of the alexandrian successor states
0: oh my gosh quick question do you think when he said if he if he did say to the strongest do you think he anticipated this to happen he's like fight for it do you think it was like a command like fight for it oh my
1: god if if he did say that like He had to have known. He wasn't an idiot, obviously.
0: Right. To say to the strongest, he knows his men.
1: Like they're going to fight.
0: They're going to fight. That's what I think maybe he wanted.
1: If that's the case, that's like such a dick move. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Excuse my French, guys. But it's true.
0: That is not chill. That is
1: so not chill. (laughs) That is the opposite of chill.
0: Sorry. I just had that thought. But tell us more about our... uh, or Victor. Yeah. What is his name?
1: Seleucus the First, Nicator.
0: Okay.
1: Probably the pronunciation's off, but who cares, right? So now after uh, decades of fighting against his Hellenistic rivals, Seleucus turned his attentions eastward towards uh, Chandragupta, actually, in 306 BC. Okay. So because he was consolidating power in India and had turned westward into the Indus Valley, just mm-hmm. in, I think, present-day Pakistan. Mm-hmm. And this was an area that had pledged to Alexander, uh, so naturally Seleucus felt that this belonged to him. Mm-hmm. The sources are almost just non-existent of this conflict that would happen. Wow, but that's what? Weird. It, yeah, but what? Like whatever did happen didn't take very long. Okay, because. Um, like it it was just very short. And in fact, like it's even theorized that there was never actually a war, mm. just like a mobilization of forces before like a peace treaty was signed.
0: That would be nice.
1: Yeah, like they almost like stared each other down. They're like, Okay, yeah, uh, never mind.
0: This is gonna be too crazy. Yeah. I'm sure they're both tired. They've been both been campaigning and fighting for so long.
1: We do know that they were lining up for a battle and they didn't end up fighting and they did sign a peace treaty. Okay. Like Eventually, right, but th- they did start peace talks. So there was—I don't think there was ever a major battle between them. Might maybe like skirmishes or something. Mm-hmm. But anyways, three hundred three BC, um, a peace treaty was signed between Seleucus and Chandragupta that determined, like, that the present day area of Pakistan and southern Afghanistan belonged to Chandragupta. Okay. And additionally, Seleucus married off one of his daughters, Berenike, to Chandragupta.
0: Wow, yeah, that's quite a gesture. It is. He um, must have liked him.
1: But Seleucus <gasps> received something from Chandragupta. Oh, so
0: w- he traded his daughter for something. Yes. Okay.
1: Yes. So, I mean, Chandragupta got all the land, right? Yeah. He got all that land, plus he got you know to marry Seleucus's daughter Berenike. But he gave to Seleucus a gift of five hundred elephants. What? <laughs> yes so this is like what? kind of that singular event that helped spread like hellenization and okay. um like in the in the years post-alexander uh because like he would use this these elephants uh, they basically would become a staple of hellenistic warfare and even to an extent like roman warfare for like a little bit of time for like almost 200 years
0: that's insane
1: yeah Um, And Indian elephants were the largest war elephants at the time. I don't like
0: the term war elephants.
1: I know. I don't either. I mean, it was so bad. And I mean, I told you about that. Yes. Weirdos. They used war elephants so much that there was a a subspecies of African elephant in um, North Africa. And Mm. they went extinct.
0: Because they were used for war. That's so sad. I get that like they saw them basically as like tanks, right? It was like having a tank.
1: Yeah, they were biological tanks.
0: But my goodness, that's not fair. It's one thing. It's cute if the elephant comes to you before a battle and like is consenting (laughs) to ride into battle with you. That's adorable. Uh, Right. But otherwise, not so much. Them being forced into battle, not my vibe.
1: No, not the best. Not the best vibe.
0: He must have really... The elephants must have been really valuable to... Trade essentially that much land.
1: Oh, they were incredibly valuable. Wow. Yeah, I mean, they. I mean, Seleucus would have seen. Um, he would have been on that Alexandrian, uh, campaign into mm-hmm. like India. Mm-hmm. So he right. would have seen like elephants like firsthand fighting against him and seen how like. Scary oh, it was that
0: battle that they lost or that they?
1: They like they fought. They ended up winning, but it was a very hard fought battle.
0: Right. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. So yeah, and he ended up using those elephants um, against one of one of the uh, Alexandrian uh, generals okay. a few years later, and uh, the elephants would come in clutch basically, and they'd win. Okay. But yeah, so by around now that we're kind of back in India, um, by around 300 BC, Chandragupta had conquered most of the subcontinent of India at this point wow yeah and as is tradition there are only <laughs> like secondhand <laughs> accounts of his death and the transition of his rule to his son
0: mm-hmm.
1: in fact there is only there is one story that Chandragupta actually retired and left to be a Jain monk in southern India
0: <gasps> whoa yeah I'm not even kidding that would be so cool
1: so it's a possibility that actually happened. That's where Chandragupta ended his days.
0: Being a Jain monk would be really chill. I think so. Really beautiful.
1: And even more ironically enough, the rule of his son Bendusara is even worse documented. How? Uh it's just because it's like not at all. Like it's there's not a lot of information about him. Which is fine because like the episode isn't about him, but I wanted to at least like diving a little bit into his life to like give some background for Ashoka, but uh, it's very little. Okay. So in fact, we can sum up his reign as further expansion within this Indian subcontinent, mm-hmm. uh, further building projects and a, kind of like a a somewhat laissez fair attitude towards religion.
0: Okay. so he's kind of building off of what his father did and also generally setting the foundation for his son
1: Exactly. Yeah, and you can kind of see that progression here. Mm-hmm. And my personal hypothesis at this point is that Chandragupta and Bendusada, um that the Mauryan Empire was probably about as religiously tolerant as you could get in the mm-hmm. ancient world, mm-hmm. um, but not wholly so. Right, right. Because, like, Ashoka's tolerance is so greatly admired in his rule that, like, it must imply that before him, rulers could only be, like, religiously tolerant up to a certain point
0: okay so he was an outlier for, exactly yeah
1: definitely and plus um we know that chandragupta and presumably bindusara uh were tolerant of the greek pantheon based on greek writings at the time
0: oh really interesting
1: yeah uh yeah because there's a lot of uh, Slucan, uh or Sleukid, excuse me Salukid like advisors in the Mauryan empire like once they make their um like, their agreement. Okay. Their peace talk, yeah.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, they actually become, uh, like, lifelong allies.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah, for, like, the duration of each of their empires.
0: That is so interesting. Right. That does it, That rarely that I've seen happens.
1: Yeah, because they kind of got to the point where it's like, okay, you're the edge of mine. I'm yeah. at the edge of yours. Like, we don't really want to incur either, like, go the, more.
0: Yeah, it's not worth it.
1: Yeah, and so they're like, okay, like, we can just set our sights of consolidating power within or just marching the other direction. Yes yeah so it was kind of yeah it kind of worked out really well for both of them but with all that being said um, we can finally get to the protagonist of our story
0: <gasps> Ashoka Ashoka
1: and just as with his grandfather a lot of Ashoka's early life is shrouded in legend and most of it comes from Buddhist sources mm. um, written much later on so not from the ancient authors
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, so we have to kind of like take it with a grain of salt right which is annoying. But we do know that he was born circa 304 BC and would have been educated in the Vedic tradition, meaning like a wide range of topics ranging from philosophy to martial arts. Mm -hmm. And he would almost assuredly been instructed in the ways of the Arthashastra. Shastra. So it's a treaty that covers many different subjects related to society, but primarily is like a manual of political science, providing instructions like on how to rule effectively. And I mean, the way I interpret it is it seems like it's a way to be like a philosopher king.
0: What a cool text.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Very, I'd say very uh, appropriate for an Eastern empire. Yes. Or those types of, or like philosophy wasn't necessarily as separate from everyday life as it has been in the West historically. Right. Exactly. So it's just seen as such an important part of your perspective as a leader.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's interesting because this was actually pioneered by a prime minister from Chandragupta's time, a man by the name of Chanakya, who was instrumental in the formation of the empire. Wow. Yeah. He was the sort of the right hand man to Chandragupta. Okay. So in, he literally wrote the book on how to rule.
0: Wow. Yeah. Pretty fancy.
1: Yeah, he was a polymath. He is actually, we could have probably had an episode just on him, if there's enough information about him. <laughs>
0: Which there probably isn't. Just... Much to your chagrin.
1: Yeah. Well, when Ashoka was around the age of 18, he was sent from the capital city uh, to a remote city called Taxila to put down a revolt. Mm. And it's here where we get some really interesting tidbits of information, including that Ashoka's father allegedly gave him an army, but no weapons. Again, coming <laughs> from Buddhist sources. What? Yes. And not only that, but he eventually did amass weapons through some sort of vague supernatural means.
0: Yes. And pretty awesome, right? Yeah.
1: And apparently he was merciful to those who put down their weapons, uh, like the enemies that put down their weapons, which seems actually weirdly true based on some ancient inscriptions that have been found in the area.
0: Wow. Yeah,
1: which is weird. Um, and to me, this gives us a pretty good clear like picture of who he was. Like he could be a bloody conqueror, as we will see, especially, but one who also shows mercy in addition to punishment. This is
0: so fascinating to me to think... Because obviously from his grandfather, there's the influence of Jainism, and then you mentioned he's Buddhist. Those, to me, seem so contradictory to leading and squashing revolts and bloody conquest.
1: Exactly, and I think we'll get to that towards the end, but just as a note, he's not Buddhist yet.
0: Oh, okay. Yes,
1: he was not born Buddhist.
0: Right, right. That makes sense.
1: <laughs> it's really funny you bring that up because it's at this point that Ashoka might have had his first experience with Buddhism. Ooh. Yes. So while he was the governor of the commercial center uh, mm-hmm. Jane, he fell in love with a woman whose name has been passed down as Devi. Okay. So it is heavily implied that she was a Buddhist and that she influenced him greatly from here on out. Wow. They were never married, but they did have two children together with their son actually eventually leading a mission to Sri Lanka to you guessed it, spread Buddhism.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. So this really becomes a big part of the family culture.
1: Oh, absolutely it does. Um, Buddhism at this point is only a re- like just a minor religion.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, the major religion in India was, was Hinduism.
0: Yeah. I mean, in, that's it's such an ancient religion. Right. So was, Buddhism is so old, but it must have been like the new kid on the block.
1: Exactly. To people in India. Yeah. And, and Buddhism had already been around for centuries at this point yeah Um, but still the minor religion um, and it's unclear exactly how buddhism and other like heterodoxy religions like jainism Uh competed with hinduism which was seen as like the orthodox religion right interesting i don't really know but i
0: would think i don't know either i would think the they wouldn't compete in every sense like they wouldn't try to compete right or want to compete necessarily but would still I mean people still practice obviously both of those religions today so That's true. They still prevailed in a way.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a good point. So regardless though um Ashoka's father dies in two, the 270s BC at some point. We don't okay. even have like the exact year because <laughs> the sources differ and Ashoka becomes the next ruler despite being the second-born son. Mm. so according to historians there was like a brief civil war where ashoka ended up killing two of his brothers in order to acquire the throne
0: damn that's cold that's
1: cold but what's written down is that he actually killed 99 brothers okay which no one really believes
0: i mean i believe it you believe
1: it yeah (laughs) oh boy
0: i'm mexican i believe it 99 brothers
1: (laughs) i got 99 problems but a brother ain't one yeah Oh, my God. I hate myself. Okay. (laughs) So this brings up an interesting point. Buddhist writings about Ashoka paint a picture that before he converted, he was just a cruel despot that Mm. only after he accepted the Buddha's teachings did he become an enlightened ruler.
0: Okay. That could be a biased source.
1: Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, that's kind of what I put is, like, it's just too neat for lack of better words. Mm Mm-hmm it's easy to say that like a certain event changed everything. And for the narrative, that would just be like a really easy and simple transition. Mm -hmm. But we know life isn't easy like that.
0: Yeah. Humans are very complicated creatures.
1: Exactly. But we do know that he had a propensity to govern well, like through his upbringing. And it seems that he also had a penchant for mercy, which again, kind of goes against that. Mm -hmm. Regardless, By about 260 BC, the Mauryan Empire had surrounded the coastal kingdom of Kalinga, which was situated on the Bay of Bengal. And the kingdom had become rich through trade, Mm -hmm. and for reasons lost to us, Ashoka set his eyes on the prize.
0: What was the prize?
1: The kingdom of of Kalinga. (laughs) I was
0: like, was there a treasure there? Yeah, he's like, the The kingdom's my treasure. Oh, he wants... (laughs) He
1: wants it all, baby. He wants it
0: all. We were very different people then. Exactly. Was the prize a nap or something <laughs> at the end of this?
1: So in it's at this conquest that truly became like a turning point in Ashoka's life. So it's thought that the invasion directly cost the lives of at least 100,000 people.
0: Wow, that would be insane.
1: Not to mention that like 150,000 more were deported.
0: Wow. Oh, my God.
1: And thousands more would die from disease and famine.
0: That's insane.
1: Ashoka walked across the battlefield looking upon death and destruction and experienced uh, what can only be described as, like, a profound change of heart, mm-hmm. which he later recorded and which he did write down. Really? Yeah. So this is a translation. It's a... um. I mean, it's there's only like a handful of people that can actually like, translate it, so this right. is just one of them. But, quote, On conquering Kalinga, the beloved of the gods, Ashoka, felt remorse for when an independent country is conquered, the slaughter, death, and deportation of the people is extremely grievous to the beloved of the gods and weighs heavily on his mind. Even those who are fortunate to have escaped, whose love is undiminished, suffer from the misfortune of their friends, acquaintances, colleagues, and relatives. Today, if a hundredth or a thousandth part of those people who were killed or died or were deported when Kalinga was annexed were to suffer similarly, it would weigh heavily on the mind of the beloved of the gods, end quote. Wow,
0: so he's really struggling with what he did.
1: Yeah, he struggles big time. And it's here that a monarch did something possibly for the first time in history, Mm -hmm. especially like a major monarch. Uh, He publicly admitted that he regretted his invasion, and he renounced war altogether.
0: Wow.
1: He either completed his embrace of Buddhism at this point, or he started to take Buddhism more seriously. It's really unclear at this specific time like which one it is.
0: That makes sense that it's unclear too, because that would be such a personal internal dialogue. Exactly. But could you imagine, I can't imagine in our lifetime hearing a leader, a world leader say something like that.
1: Absolutely not. And this is the ancient world where like might is everything.
0: Yeah. You need power. You need strength. You need ruthlessness.
1: Exactly. Um, we're, and he did take Buddhism very seriously because it's, he sent emissaries as far away as syria and greece to preach about the buddha wow i know imagine being in ancient greece and hearing about some like some dude walking down the street and he's like talking about the buddha
0: that would be so crazy to travel back in time and just like overhear that conversation (laughs) i know wouldn't that just be incredible like wow
1: I mean, first of all, because, like, you probably need, like, some sort of apparatus to understand, you know, the ancient Greek language. I
0: have my TARDIS.
1: You have your TARDIS. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. You have the TARDIS. <laughs> but then, like, all of a sudden, you're just like... Wait, what? Wait. wait. My mind would, I think, <laughs> short circuit.
0: Are they talking about Buddhism? I thought it was in ancient Greece. <laughs> yeah. What? The, what's
1: going on? That's... Must be, like, I would literally think there was something wrong with the time machine. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's fascinating, though, to see the spread of information like that. That's so cool. In the ancient world where it's so hard to travel and to move and to learn about how other people live. Fascinating.
1: Absolutely fascinating. So he would go on to carve edicts into large stones and pillars throughout the country at pilgrimages like site as long as along trade like routes, especially the busy ones. Mm hmm. So they were not carved in Sanskrit, but in localized regional dialects. That's smart. So the people could understand it. Right. And these still exist to this day. And you can (gasps) even see one in present day, like Afghanistan, that was written in Aramaic and Greek.
0: That's so crazy. In (laughs)
1: Afghanistan.
0: That would be so cool to see.
1: I know. And that goes back to the days of Alexander. And actually, Greek would last um, in Afghanistan, like Bactria, as it was known back then for centuries. Wow. I know. It's kind of a fascinating, like, subchapter of Greek history.
0: Yeah. It's also interesting to see the, for both of these rulers, you know, Alexander and Ashoka, the, like, the ripples of their influence. Right?
1: Yeah. Pretty wild. And it's kind of just wild because not only did he do that he would um i mean first of all these were spread all over india and Mm -hmm. pakistan as well right but he would actually go and visit like all regions of his empire
0: that's beautiful
1: yeah in fact for one year he traveled 250 days straight oh my god! every single day traveling
0: so he really cared
1: yeah he absolutely cared you couldn't take that away from him right So one of the virtues that Ashoka had adopted was that of extreme religious tolerance. So a lot of comparisons have been drawn between he and that of Cyrus the Great of Persia.
0: Oh yeah, you've mentioned that before.
1: Yes, he would declare in one of the edicts, quote, All men are my children. As for my own children, I desire that they may be provided with all the welfare and happiness of this world and of the next. Or so do I desire of all men as well,
0: Mm. end quote. So he's just like, I want what's best for everybody.
1: Pretty much, yeah.
0: That's really sweet.
1: Yeah, and he really truly didn't care like about religion at all. I mean, he did care about Buddhism, right? And that was his thing, but he never pushed that down on anyone.
0: If anything, I feel like that speaks to the level at which he believed in the teachings of Buddhism. Right. Versus just kind of a lot of times we've seen, and we've even covered this in previous episodes, where people will adopt a religion mm-hmm. as a power move. Right. Or some sort of way to gain influence over people. But he must have really believed what he was preaching.
1: I think he really did. I mean, it's it's kind of crazy, too, because like further ed- edicts would include that he would um, resolve to use persuasion and not violence to win others to his side. Um I'll get to that in a second, but he noted that all roads would have trees for shade and that medical care was available to all people as well as all animals.
0: Oh my gosh, the yeah. United States could never. Yeah. <laughs> present day US. <laughs> he,
1: he, he urged people to follow like a vegetarian diet and yeah. even had a protected species list of animals uh people were not allowed to hunt.
0: Yeah. That's um, I That's mean, awesome.
1: it's incredible, yeah. Like, we know that he also banned the burning of forests and the dumping of waste that could cause, like, harm to animals.
0: <sighs> we I, really need a ruler like that today, huh? I know.
1: I mean, in general, he would promote, like, a universal generosity and piety to all people and, I guess, even animals, right?
0: Yes. That's a big thing with Buddhism is all life is sacred. There's sort of no one's above anyone else. Right. Which is so cool to see that he's practicing that.
1: Oh he definitely does. Um but also, you know, he wasn't above using violence.
0: Oh my well. gosh.
1: Yeah. So I mean he
0: He's a complex man.
1: Yeah. He we do have scarce records of his forces fighting even after his support, you know, supposed conversion to Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he never disbanded the army, right? And even it, it makes sense given his upbringing because of the philosophy mm-hmm. uh, that he inherited. Like being a just ruler is, you know, being strong when needed. And he was not a weak emperor by any means.
0: Right. At the end of the day, he's also just a person. So he can love and believe in buddhism and still also think that the right thing to do is to you know right protect his his empire
1: exactly and his citizens which i think
0: mm-hmm.
1: he does yeah quite um not ruthlessly but he does quite effectively mm. like he will keep like a strong really hand yes exactly um but again like these like the wars or conflicts were never necessarily like offensive it was more like putting down like Uh, revolts or rebellions or defensive measures Mm -hmm. so and again these were put down violently so he wasn't above using violence um but at the same time it's not like he's gonna go seek it out either
0: Mm -hmm. i mean he's a person right? right so many people all over the world today practice different religious beliefs but don't practice them to a t exactly it's my dad for example, calls himself a cafeteria Catholic. <laughs> you pick and <laughs> That's choose, That's amazing. <laughs> you pick and choose what you want. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. And no, I don't think this diminishes from his, his like ability as a ruler. In fact, I think it really like enhances it. Right. Right. Because he does what's necessary, even it, though it, his beliefs kind of go against it.
0: Yeah. It shows that it's truly his priority. Right. More so than any, than like himself maybe, or his own desires beliefs maybe he would also love to be in a monastery somewhere as a monk but he definitely sees ruling as like his vocation
1: exactly that's how i think about it too so i mean without though like i mean he does have this warfare right like little bits of warfare he does have his army but he doesn't have a central focus on warfare anymore Mm mm-hmm And so this allowed Ashoka to uh, really engage in more, like, public works programs that included um, just massive building works, including shrines uh, Mm -hmm. called stupas, to irrigation canals, to hospitals. Wow. Yeah, so, like, all over the place, right? And many of these stupas... just like the pillars containing the edicts still exist today and you can find them all throughout the subcontinent
0: that's so cool
1: yeah i really want to see them they've been they're kind of like these mounds Mm -hmm. like in the earth and like you know like the structure is still there from his Mm -hmm. time right like third century bc but like subsequent like generations have built like more like on top of it of
0: course right that's what always happens but i think that's actually what's so beautiful to see yeah isn't it the layers of human history
1: i mean i remember looking at like uh, a diagram once of like a mexican pyramid Mm -hmm. that was like the latest edition was from like the 16th or or, like 15 no maybe that was probably like the 15th century yeah maybe 15th or 14th century right but the earliest like most like subterranean portion of it like dated back to like 500 bc
0: that's insane
1: it's kind of wild but anyways, yeah, it's kind of like same sort of, same sort of thing going on here. Right. So, remember the beginning of this episode when I spoke about Alexander? Yeah. Well, like, the Hellenization of large swaths of Asia was actually, you know, quite important to Ashoka's rule and his legacy. Because it's under, like, him that he starts these, real, these large-scale building projects using stone. Mm-hmm. And this was mainly due to that Greek influence be, uh, because before uh, they built in non-permanent materials such as like wood, bamboo, and thatch.
0: Mm-hmm. No, those the Greeks loved good stone.
1: They, lo- they definitely did. And they did it well. Yeah. So, and it was mainly due to this Greek influence as well as Ashoka's commitment to make his country better that led to these now like semi-permanent you know uh institutions very cool yeah and it like it was used all over the empire and buildings just became sturdier and the archaeological record is greatly expanded during this time like obviously mm-hmm. so according to sri lankan tradition ashoka would eventually die during his 37th year of his reign which is which would likely suggest like the 230s bc okay so roughly about like a 100 years as after alexander's death actually mm-hmm. And according to these uh, these same traditions, his body was burned on a pyre, and it took seven days and nights for the flame to finally subside. Ooh. Yes, exactly. Going back kind of to like the legendary- Yeah, right, uh, right. Background. I love it.
0: Seven is always the number, isn't seven, it? Seven, yeah. Three, seven, uh, 40. Those numbers come up in so many different cultures. Isn't that wild?
1: Yeah. Very interesting. But his legacy is incredibly profound even today. And most people probably don't understand, like, the full context of it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, he played a central and very large role in the expansion of Buddhism, right? And it is now, like, a world religion.
0: It's one of the major world religions for sure, yeah.
1: And he played a very big part in that.
0: That's so nuts. That's what I mean, the ripples of these, these people.
1: It's... It's amazing. And the very symbols that would define his career are actually mm-hmm. now present within the present-day like Indian government. Really? So, yeah, that the wheel of righteousness that comes from him, actually, is smack dab in the middle of the Indian flag.
0: Oh, my gosh. That comes
1: from Ashoka.
0: That's nuts.
1: And Ashoka's pillar, capital of Sarnath, yeah. is the national emblem of India.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Exactly. I mean, and... You know, as what happens eventually with all empires, the Morgan dynasty Dynasty, (laughs) Dynasty would eventually end. I can't speak English, apparently. That's okay. But, you know, his everlasting effects would live on. And obviously, we see them to this day.
0: That's incredible.
1: Yeah. And so that's kind of the somewhat legendary life of Ashoka.
0: That's awesome, babe. This was so informative. I learned so, so much. Like, honestly, I hadn't heard of... Aside from this dynasty, I hadn't heard of any of this.
1: Yeah. I mean, what's really interesting is a lot of people don't understand. Like, you think of, like, ancient Rome and Mm -hmm. ancient Greece. And, like, India actually played, like, a really big part in, uh, like, Hellenization and the Roman world. Right. Like, I mean, we've seen we've seen ancient uh or like macedonian coins from like the third century bc Mm -hmm. in india all the way to coins from like rome like byzantine roman emperor justinian Mm -hmm. and even i think further Mm -hmm. like that's that's almost like a thousand years
0: yeah and we can see from the story that you shared that indian itself had so much rich history going on it did at this time we just don't know as much about it i
1: know but the buildings are like really cool and, and these pillars are like awesome yeah and I'll, I'll post some pictures on our instagram
0: oh good i can't wait to see exactly
1: and so last but certainly not least my sources so we got encyclopedia britannica we got worldhistory.org nice national geographic thought co i even used <gasps> what? justin's um epitome Ooh. historarium trogi pompey <laughs> Or Pompeii.
0: That sounds like quite a mouthful. It is. And mean, you know what's
1: funny is like it an epitome, mm-hmm. historium, or historarium, is like is literally saying like an abridgment of like this other dude's work.
0: That's crazy. So like
1: what we're what I'm reading is actually like him just basically paraphrasing and, and making an abridged copy of someone else's work. <laughs> <laughs> we've now we've lost completely.
0: He's like, yeah, don't worry about it. I'll just give you the spark notes. <laughs> yeah, it's basically the spark notes. Oh, <laughs> uh,
1: But yeah, that's that's a fun fact.
0: There we go. Now we know. Yes. Thank you again so much for sharing this story. I feel like I want to like look at your notes because there was just so much great information. Well, you can. Well, Yeah, I can. I have access to your Google Drive.
1: <laughs> you do, yeah.
0: But thank you so much, babe. And thank you, weirdos, for listening, for being here on this journey with us do not forget to participate in our hundredth episode by emailing us the information about that will be in the show notes. Of course.
1: Exactly. We really want to hear from your guys. We want to hear your questions and your stories.
0: Yes. That's going to be so fun to read people's weird history stories.
1: I'm so excited. I've seen emails come in and I I purposely haven't read them. Me
0: too. Yeah. I'm waiting. I'm
1: waiting. So yeah, you guys, we haven't read them yet, but we see them and we're going to read them
0: on the show, on the
1: show. And, I'm not going to say it, but there's a little surprise of our 100th episode.
0: Yes, we have a little extra special surprise we haven't shared yet. So stay tuned for that coming up in a couple weeks.
1: Exactly. Okay. Well, I guess without further ado.
0: Until next time, weirdos.
1: Adios. (laughs) arta sharta or arta shoot i don't know how to pronounce this the arta shastra okay definitely gonna cut that out of the episode
0: (laughs) no leave it it's okay to make mistakes
1: okay yeah right here the arta shastra
0: yeah